I think there are times when we forget that we're free and that there is a change that God is working on bringing to our lives. And so I encourage you to maybe put somewhere a reminder to yourself of that freedom that you have in Christ. So we have been going down the mountain. We studied the Sermon on the Mount, and then we've been going down the mountain, and we've been studying chapters 8 and 9. And as we've been down the mountain, we've been realizing that in chapters 8 and 9, the red letters that he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount are what we're experiencing. The very things that he talked about, that he said to be true, that he wanted for us, we begin to see them working themselves out. And it's interesting because at the end of chapter 9, all of a sudden we watch Jesus Christ kind of make a shift in his ministry, a, a really important shift because Jesus Christ realized that it wasn't enough just simply that he was the sent one, but the reality was is that he needed to send other people. And so in these next couple verses at the end of chapter 9, he begins laying out a vision for what he's going to do in chapter 10. In chapter 9, verse 35, he said this, And Jesus went throughout the cities and the villages. This is exactly almost word for word what he said in chapter 4, verse 23, that Jesus was on the move. He went through the villages, and this is what it tells us that he did. He taught in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And so Jesus Christ was on the move. And the reason that we know that he gave his miracles was so that they could see that he was Messiah. It spoke of his authority. It spoke of the, the ramifications of his authority. Remember the first three? They were all about Jesus Christ going on beyond boundaries that you don't think about. He went to different groups of people. He even went to his enemies. And he was healing and he was doing that. And he was showing this expansion of what the kingdom was going to be. It says this in verse 36, which I think is really interesting. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The first thing that we saw that Jesus did is that he, he went. And it's interesting that when you go to the end of the book of Matthew, he says something to his disciples. He tells them in verses 19 and 20 of, of chapter 28, he says, go into all the world, right? And he wasn't asking them to do anything different than he had already done himself because Jesus went himself. But the second thing that we see that Jesus did is that when Jesus went, all of a sudden we start getting this point where we see what Jesus saw. What did Jesus see when he was out there amongst the crowds? I, I know that some of you are, don't like the crowds. Um, here in Lake Placid, some of the locals right now are just complaining. Because you can't turn left anywhere very easy, you know? It's that time of the year where you actually wish that instead of having four stoplights, maybe we had seven. <laughs> just simply because life would be just a little bit easier. There's something about the crowds that some people don't enjoy very much. I have one son that, that people are just kind of optional. 
and he has a job where he works with people, and at the end of the day, if I want to ask him how the day went, that's wrong for me to do because I'm a people. Hmm. And uh, he has had enough of people during that day. But that's not Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They, they touched his heart deeply when they saw it. It tore him open when he saw the crowd. And there's a reason why. Because he saw what they were going through. He saw that they were harassed and helpless. Have you ever felt a little harassed and helpless? <clears throat> yeah. Jesus saw that life wasn't always easy. That there were challenges to life. He could see the exhaustion on people's face. He could hear their tiredness and their emotions of their voice. He saw they were harassed and helpless, but he knew there was a reason why that was true. The reason why that was true is because they were sheep without a shepherd. I don't know about you, but I love being a sheep with a shepherd. I, I like the fact that no matter what happens in life, I, I believe in the shepherd, the good shepherd of my life, the one spoken of in Psalm 23, the savior of my soul, and I know that he's with me in all of my circumstances, that he's creating a covering. I know that he can be trusted at all times. I know that nothing happens in my life that is a surprise to him. He never nudges God and goes, can you believe that just happened? He is the shepherd, but he looked out and he saw a lot of people without a shepherd. This morning, in this community, less than 5% of us are in church today. There are a lot of people in this community without a shepherd without a relationship with a living God. Jesus saw that crowd. You know, Jesus saw that crowd, and what did he do? He said that when he saw the crowd, he looked to his disciples, and he said something to his disciples. Those who were following him, he said this, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his view. You see, what Jesus did when he saw this, instead of keeping it to this himself and deciding it was only his issue, Jesus shared what he saw with his disciples. And, that, and he shared to them the great need that he saw. And occasionally, it, they probably, when he said those things, they're like, wow, he's Messiah and he's praying that the Lord would send out laborers? I wonder who he'll send. I wonder what he'll do. And that's the interesting thing because we see immediately in chapter Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, and it says, And he called the twelve, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits and to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. You see, God shows them the need, and then he says, you are the sent ones to take care of the need. That's why I wanted you to reflect this morning. I wanted you to reflect on the fact that if you have a personal relationship with the Lord, God sent someone to you. 
God sent someone to you that shared the message of the gospel, and because he sent them, you have a relationship with God. Isn't that incredible? Think about that. And not only that, but the sent ones go all the way back to the disciples. If we were able to create the coolest pyramid scheme in the whole world, we would have the 12 disciples, and sticking off from them would be generation after generation. Because, see, there was a sent one that went to my father. And there was a sent one that went to that person. And there, this is the coolest pyramid scheme in the whole world. And because of this pyramid scheme, every one of us somehow can trace our ancestry back to one of the 12 disciples, the original sent one. I, I think that that's an incredible idea, an incredible thing to think about. But my challenge to us today is how do we live our lives as sent ones? How do we go from just being in a position where we're like, yeah, God, you need to send out laborers, you know? Have you ever been to a restaurant and something crashes on the floor? And when we're at a restaurant, what we think is, somebody needs to clean that up, right? And you kind of look around waiting for the busboy or the waitress or the owner to show up and take care of that. But when that happens in our home, the busboy doesn't show up, does he? The owner has to take care of it himself. God's calling us to a level of ownership today. And I've asked Hal to come and talk to you about some of the ideas that go around this idea of being sent ones, of realizing that we need to see the harvest, but just some of the details that go along with that. So, Hal, why don't you come up? Hal is the, um, the church planter for the uh, church in Stamford. It's New Hope, right? Living Hope. Living Hope. I knew I was going to get that wrong. <laughs> And he's going to share a couple minutes about what it means to live out this prayer of this, the Lord of the harvest. I'm really happy to be with you this morning. I hope you're happy to hear me. I promise to keep it under three hours. How about that? You know, the Apostle Paul said, my life means nothing to me. My only goal is to finish the race. I want to complete the work the Lord Jesus has given me, which is to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what Jim was talking about. But there's so much in this life that gets in the way of us actually just naturally sharing our faith with other people. And part of that is because we live in a different value set. You see, some people say that success is the most important thing in your life, and so give yourself to money, to status, and other things. And some people say, you know, what you've got to do is you pursue your own happiness. Go for your own pleasure and joy. Pursue excitement. Go for the latest challenges and thrills. Live your life on the edge. Some people say, no, life's all about relationships. It's loving your family and it's loving other people and having good friendships. And everything that I've shared, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the priority of your life. Your priority in life is what the Apostle Paul told us which is to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this, but in the next 365 days, 55 million people around the world will die. And many of them will go into a crisis eternity. In the next 365 days, over 2.6 million Americans will die. 
And they will go into eternity, many of them, without knowing who Christ is. This year, roughly 150,000 people in New York will die. And many of them will not know Jesus Christ. That number is a difficult number to bear. There are many, many people right here in the Northeast who do not know Jesus Christ. I think when Jesus was saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, he realized that there was enormous task, but there was enormous opportunity if someone would take seriously his words of telling other people the good news of Christ. You might say, well, well how, do they, how do I do that? I, I want to share with you how you can do that, and I, I'm not going to give you a formula or a methodology, but I want to give you a principle, a principle that you can live out for all of your life. And it starts right here. Number one, open your eyes. Open your eyes. You know, when you were born, most of you received physical eyesight. And when you were spiritually born again, you received a different set of eyes. And God wants you to open up your spiritual eyes so that you can see what it is that God sees. You see, there's this unseen part of reality that we will never ever see unless our eyes are open. When we tap into what God sees, His perspective, His viewpoint, it changes everything. In John, it says, don't you have a saying? It is still four months until harvest time. But I tell you, Open your eyes. Look at the fields, for they are ripe with harvest. If I could paraphrase what Jesus was saying, he's saying, just open your eyes. There's so many people that are out there who are ready to receive me right now. People are crazy interested in knowing who I am. If someone will just go and tell them. It's more people than you could ever realize. Often we think and act as if nobody is interested. That somehow nobody wants to hear the news and the hope that we possess in Jesus Christ. But nothing could be farther from the truth. The reality is that the harvest is so plentiful that he needs more people to be living on his mission. Matthew 9 again, I want to just read it to you again. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion or deep concern for them. They were treated badly. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. It is huge. But there are only a few workers. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into his harvest field. You ought to think about that word saw. You know, when Jesus was standing there in front of this crowd of people, he could have just saw lots of people standing around, maybe hundreds or thousands of people. But he saw beyond the individual people. He saw their spiritual condition, and he was moved with compassion. You see, whenever God opens your eyes, that's what happens to you. You automatically start feeling compassion for the people that are in front of you. You go beyond what is the obvious to your physical eyesight. And your heart breaks for those who are close to you 
those who are neighbors, those who live in your community, those in your workplace, those who live outside of the city and around the world, and you see how helpless and spiritually lost they really are. But we have to open our eyes. One of the things that I regularly do in starting a new church, I've started several churches, and this one in Stanford, is I have a map of the entire city. And I drive street by street, and I pray over every single house. And I ask for God's power and his presence to enter that house. I don't know most of the people. I, don't even, I, I, I know hardly any of the 128,000 people that live in the city of Stanford. But street by street, house by house, I pray. When I see people walking on the street, I pray. I ask God to move in their hearts. I ask God when I'm driving through the streets, God, can, can you show me what I'm supposed to see? What is it that you see? How do you see the city? Where are the spiritual opportunities that are around me? God wants you to open your eyes. Every day when you, when you wake up, God, what is it that you want me to see? God, open my eyes. Don't let me just see what I always see. What is it that you see? Because when you understand what it is that God wants you to see, it will direct your life. And he will show you who you're supposed to tell the good news to. You may even right now, just where you're sitting, you might say, God, open my eyes. Say that prayer to him. Help me to see the spiritual realities that are all around me. And the second thing is, not only open your eyes, but listen, listen to God. You know, there's a little less book that's known in the Bible. It's called Habakkuk. Maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't. But in his story, it becomes really obvious that he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what his next step is. And he needs to hear from God. He's not sure what's going on or even what's going on around him. So he says in Habakkuk 2, verse 1, I will station myself. Simply stated, he says, I'm going to stay put. I'm not going to move until God tells me what to do. God speaks to the person who's willing to listen to him. And God is speaking all of the time. The problem is, Many times, we're just not simply hearing what he's saying. God has something very specific to say to each and every one of us in this room. There are people that he wants you to impact for the sake of the gospel. Yes, you. And he has something to say to you. But sometimes, in the craziness of our world and all the busyness that we have, or maybe the value set that's out there where we're pursuing other things, we can't hear what it is that he's saying to us. We have to open our eyes so God will show us the need, but then we need to open our ears so that he can tell us specifically what to say. In fact, John chapter 10, verse 27 says this, my sheep listen to my voice. This is Jesus. I know them and they follow me. One of the key characteristics of a follower of Jesus Christ is their ability to listen. Hurry is the death of prayer, and hurry is the death of you being able to understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
So station yourself. Make sure your heart and your mind are open and clear to whatever it is that God might want to say to you about his mission. Ask God, am I listening to you? Number three, open your eyes. Listen to God. Number three, act in faith. You see, if your eyes and your ears are open, it's just a matter of time before God will tell you what to do. And trust me, it's going to be a lot bigger than you expect. Some of you might be thinking, you know, I know this neighbor, and I know my neighbor, he he or she, they need to know the Lord. And you're thinking about them. But as you're praying, and as you're listening, and as you're opening your eyes, God may expand it just from maybe a neighbor to a neighborhood or a block. And all of a sudden, you become burdened for getting to know the people in your neighborhood. And you begin to build relationships with more than just one. Now, God might just say one, and that's big enough. But oftentimes, when you're listening to him, it will become bigger than you realize. Or the next thing you know, you might start feeling burdened about people who live in a neighboring town or maybe even a neighboring country. God will begin to open your mind and expand it in such a way to show you that he's God and that he wants to use you in a mighty, mighty, powerful way. And when he reveals it to you, you have to act in faith. Why faith? Because it's going to be fearful. Honestly, it might be scary. It might be more than what you think you can do. You, you might not even feel like you could even say anything to anyone about your faith in Jesus Christ. But you'll know by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he'll say, this is what I want you to do. And then you have a choice. And that choice is to act in faith. Hebrews chapter eleven eight. it says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God told him to leave a home and go to another land that God would give him. And he went without even knowing where he was going. Abraham is 75 years old. I mean, he's coming to the end of his life. He's got a wonderful retirement plan. He's probably on Social Security. I don't know what it is, right? But he's ready to take it easy in life. And then God says to him, I want to make you the father of a brand new nation. I want you to pack up and I want you to go to a new country. And Abraham says, okay, God, where are we going? God says, well, you've never heard of this place. And Abraham says, okay, well, how long is it going to take for us to get there? And God says, well, don't worry about it. And Abraham says, okay, well, how will I know when I get there? And God says, don't worry about it. I'll I'll tell you when you get there. Let me ask you, is that something you would do? When you know nothing, you see, the justified will live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God wants us to trust him, even when we don't have all the answers, even when we don't know how it's all going to work together. Whatever it is that he shows you and whatever it is he tells you, you must act in faith. Now, it's a risk, and faith always involves risking trusting God. The question is, is are you willing to do it? I want to tell you something. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. It takes courage. Courage to be able to do what the Lord wants you to do. Now, if I were a guessing man, some of us right here sitting 
there's something we know the Lord has asked us to do. But we've been pushing it over to the side. We've tried to ignore it. We've tried not to think about it. We've decided, at least for now, we're going to postpone it, and maybe later I will get to it. But the Lord, right now, He's saying to you, I I want you to step in faith. Stop waiting. Stop procrastinating. Move in faith. So open your eyes. Listen to God. Act in faith. And finally, just don't give up. Don't give up. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain. The key two words in this verse is stand firm. You don't stop living the mission of Jesus out. You don't stop telling people about him. And you give yourself fully to the work. You know, <clears throat> years ago, I, I have a son. He's, uh, he's in seminary right now out in California. But when he was eight years old, I had become very discouraged. And I, I wasn't so sure if I wanted to, to follow Jesus anymore. And I had gotten involved in ministry. And some of you, you... You may know what I'm talking about. Just sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. And I went there to say my prayers with him that night. As I got ready to tuck him in, he he says to me, he goes, Dad, you can't give up. I'm like, what? He says, Dad, you can't give up telling people about Jesus. The Lord is counting on you. You can't give up. And then he said, and one day you're going to die. I'm like, oh, this is not going in the right direction. (laughs) But then he says, but I'm going to take over. But until then, you can't give up. This is from the mouth of an eight-year-old kid. And when he spoke to me, I felt as if God were speaking to me directly. The good part is he said, don't worry, you're not going to die anytime soon. So (laughs) I was relieved after that. But the truth is, some of us are at a quitting point. You might be ready to give up. You're stressed out. You want to play it safe. Maybe you're ready to give up on God's mission because maybe some bad things happened in your life. Maybe you're ready to throw the towel in because maybe you're just tired of getting criticized. Or ready to give up because it seems like maybe God didn't come through for you and so you have this sense of disappointment. I want to tell you right now, there is a reward for those who will finish. 20, 20 some odd years ago, Sharon and I first felt the call to start a church in Miami, Florida. It was um, something that took us by surprise. But our desire was to get the goal, or get the, our goal was to get the good news of Jesus Christ into the community where we lived in Miami. And... Uh, We went and started this church, and we met this lady. Her name was Danielle, and she'd been attending the church for several weeks by herself. And so I said to her, I said, you know, I noticed you've you've been coming to church by yourself, but I haven't seen your husband. She said, well, you don't know my husband. If he ever walks into the church, like, the whole building will collapse. 
<clears throat> and I said to her, I said, well, I doubt that, but why don't we start praying for your husband, and why don't you get involved with this newly formed ladies' Bible study? So she did. And so they started praying for her husband for over a year. Now, her husband was named Orly. And Orly, which is short for Orlando, Orly ended up meeting one of the members of our church. Now, this member, his name was Manny, just a very regular guy. In fact, most of his life, he just did custodial work. In fact, when Orly was in elementary school, uh, our friend Manny was actually the custodian at his school. And Manny showed Orly, when he was just a kid, kindness, and helped him when he was in elementary school. Somehow or another, Manny runs in to Orly, and he invites him to the service. And Orly says to Manny, he says, well, where do you go to church? He says, well, I go to Living Hope Church. He said, I think I've heard about that church before. Manny said, yeah, your wife's been going to that church for over a year now. And he said, well, okay, well, I guess then we can go together. So Orly showed up to the very first service, and he sat in the very back of the auditorium. And after the service, he comes barreling down the aisleway to talk to me. And he, he said excitedly, that was a, and I can't say it here, but a blankety-blank great talk you just gave. <clears throat> and I graciously said to him, well, thank you. He said, I just want you to know, I'm not a churchgoer. The only reason I came is because of this guy, Manny. Humble, nice, sort of blend in the distance, but this one guy, Manny, just gave a simple invitation to this guy, Orley, who ends up coming to this first service. So he says to me, you won't ever see me again because I don't go to church. I said, well, I'm just glad you came today. And off he went. The next Sunday, Orley shows up again. He's sitting in the back of the auditorium. And after the service, he just makes a straight shot to me where I'm standing. And he said, hey, just want you to know, my wife asked me to come today. And it just so happened I didn't have anything to do today. So I just figured I'd show up. Just remember, I don't go to church. I go, I get it. That's fine, Orly. I'm just glad that you came today. Third Sunday, guess who walks into the sanctuary? It's Orly. And he's sitting in the back. And after the service, he makes a beeline down the aisle to come and say something to me. And before he opens his mouth, I say, Orly, I know you're not a churchgoer, but this is the third Sunday in a row. So I will see you again next week. <clears throat> he just grinned, then laughed and smiled. After several months of Orly coming, Orly gave his life to Jesus Christ. And we baptized him in his own swimming pool. And this guy became hungry for God. He got involved in a small group, started serving in ministry. Several years later, he became one of the key elders in our church. Just an amazing story of God's grace in this guy's life. He was the goal of what we'd always wanted to see, telling someone about Jesus and then Jesus changing his life completely. I, I remember one time he, he would call me and say, hey, I want you to come down to my store. He owned several carpet stores. And I would meet him down there, and 
He'd open his drawer and there'd be like a thousand or two thousand dollars in cash in his drawer. And, and he would just empty his drawer and he would give me the money and he would say, Now, I'm giving you this money. I want you to give it to the people who really need it. And, and I would have like two thousand dollars cash in my pocket when I would leave his office. And I remember one time, because he did this to me multiple times. And I said, Well, how do you know I'm not like taking your money and running, you know? So then obviously he goes, oh, I know you wouldn't do that. Anyways, I know you love playing Santa Claus to other people, and I did. And I got to help a lot of people because of his generosity. He was a part of a new church that was growing and thriving. We had lots of stories of people who were far from God, just normal, average people, building relationships with people who opened their eyes, listened to God, acted in faith, gave an invitation, or shared something about their faith, and people were coming to know the Lord. But inevitably, church isn't always pretty, and sometimes it gets hard. And in our church, we ended up seeing a lot of people leave at one time. That was a devastating experience for me. At that time, we had been growing so quickly, we ended up expanding facilities and so forth. And before long, we ended up having a tremendous financial debt. And I remember we had pushed off these payments until we've we had a final payment of $17,000 that was due at the end of the month, and we, we had no money. And all I remember doing is just laying right on the ground, prostrate on the floor, and I was calling out to God and saying, God, I don't know how you're going to pay for this. We have no money, but you've got to come through. If you are God, you have to show yourself to be God because we cannot pay for this. Every day on the ground, just crying out to God. I'd never done that before in my life. But that's how desperate I was. And one day, the secretary came to me, and she had a FedEx package, and she handed it to me. She said, I think you're going to appreciate this. So I look inside, and all there is is a check. And I look at the check. It's for $17,000. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I'm overcome with emotion. But then immediately I thought, oh my gosh, next month is December. If we're going to finish in the black, I have to make a $25,000 payment. And I go, okay, God, where are you going to come with the other $25,000, right? So I knew the first time laying on the ground and praying work, I was back on the floor again, praying, saying, God, thank you for the 17. But we need 25000 just to get to zero. Would you provide the $25,000? Two weeks later, there's another FedEx envelope. And she says, you should look inside. I look inside, and there's a check. And it's written specifically for the amount I've been praying for. I had told nobody about the 17 or the 25. It was a $25,000 check. I look at the check. I don't even recognize the name on the check. I'm like, I need to meet these people. Who are these people who are giving so much money so she arranged a meeting for us to sit down and talk. And so I was excited. The day arrived where this couple came to my office. And I said to them, I've got to tell you a story. I've got to tell you a story of what you guys have done and, and, and how it's impacted my life and our church. And they said, if it's okay, could you hold on to your story? Because we have a story we want to share with you. I said, Okay. They said, you know, 10 years ago, our daughter, who knew the Lord at the time, was going through a rebellious time. 
is you started dating this guy we did not approve of, and we did everything that we could to persuade her not to break up with him. But she wouldn't. Then we find out she eloped with him. It wasn't even a month that we started getting phone calls from her, and she felt like she had made a mistake, and she wanted to leave him. She discovered he was going to strip clubs and getting drunk and doing a number of other things, and we just agonized for our daughter. Eventually, she asked us if she could move back home because she was ready to leave him. And we said to her, no, you can't move back home. You made a commitment to marry him. We believed it was a sacred commitment you made before God. You have to stay home. And they hung up the phone and they just wept as parents. They just wept and sobbed because of the sadness that her daughter was going through. So we just decided that we would pray for her and we would pray for him. And and we did all kinds of things to try to get him involved in interested things. Like we would invite him to do a Bible study with us, but he didn't want to do a Bible study. We actually asked if we could pray over a meal. He didn't want us to pray over a meal. Every possible attempt, he would immediately reject. And then we lost hope. We lost hope that he would ever change or ever come to know Jesus. Now, some of us, we, we might know who that person is in our life. We've lost hope that they will ever change or ever come to Jesus. And this is where they were. Then we heard that he started attending this new church and we couldn't believe it. In fact, when we were with him, we never brought it up because we were afraid if we brought up church or God, we might mess it up and he'd stop going. Then one day he called us on the phone. He told us something he had learned in his small group Bible study and we almost fell over. Then he was telling us one day he was going to serve as an usher in the church and then how he had formed a friendship with the pastor and now that he was becoming a leader in the church. There are no words that we can express to thank you and this church for the complete transformation of our son-in-law, Orly Rodriguez. We heard you'd like to build a church because we were in rented facilities. So we would like to give you a gift. And then they slid a check right across the desk to me. I didn't want to like be too obvious, but I was interested in the amount. So I, I took a little quick peek, you know. And when I did, I saw the number 200. So I thought, well, they had given a $200 check. But at a second glass, I noticed there was a comma after the 200 They wrote a $200,000 check. And the first thing I did was I just exploded in tears. And I couldn't thank God. And I couldn't thank them enough. Just one month before, completely broke, didn't have the ability to pay off the debts. And now all bills paid $200,000 check in the bank. It was amazing. God rewards those who will trust him. God rewards those who will make it about his mission to tell other people the good news of Jesus Christ. Several years later, I moved on actually to start another church in Central Florida, and my friend Orly called me. 
he said that he had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. He was 37 years old. I went to see him and his family, and we talked over the next 11 months. Then a friend called me and said, Orly's not doing well. The doctors are saying he's going to die. So I drove down there to go see him. When I arrived, he hardly looked like the person I knew. The cancer had disfigured his body. And he said to me, Hal, the doctors are saying that I'm going to die soon. Can you answer this question? Did I make a difference with my life? And I said, Orly, you absolutely did. When you gave your life to Jesus, you completely changed. You became one of the most generous serving people I know. You shared the hope of Jesus with people you came in contact with. You made a difference. My, my friend Orly just sat back, relaxed, and smiled. And I said goodbye to him for the last time on this earth. Two weeks later, my friend Orly passed away. He died the day before Thanksgiving, and his funeral was set on that Friday. A lot of people were out of town, so I was told by the family just to expect a few people at his funeral. However, when the service started... There was standing room only, and people had spilled out into the foyer in the hallway. In the middle of the funeral service, a person stood up and said, I need to say something. And he shared about how he had come upon rough times, and time and time and time again, Orly would help him out. For almost an hour, there were popcorn testimonies of people standing up, talking about the difference he made in his life. And I said to myself, right there as I looked at his casket, Orly, you made a difference. In Acts 13, it says, David carried out God's purpose while he lived, and then he died. And that is my prayer for you. My prayer is that you will serve God's mission in your generation right now, right here in Lake Placid. There are so many people in this town who need the good news of Jesus Christ. Who will tell them? Who will be the laborers for the great harvest that God has? Who will stand up and fulfill the calling that Jesus has for each and every one of us to be his laborer in the harvest field? God has given us the privilege of telling people the good news about him. And when you tell them, it just might change their life completely. You see, you could be like Moses when God approached him and Moses said, who, me? Or you could be like Jonah when God approached him and went the opposite direction and said, not me. Or you could be like Habakkuk and you could say, God, why me? Or you could be like Isaiah today. And say, send me. Amen. Open your eyes. Listen to God. Act in faith. And don't give up. Amen. Let's pray. As we pray right now, maybe as you're sitting where you're at, maybe you've never come into the love of Jesus Christ that Pastor Jim just spoke about. I want you to open your, open your heart right now. 
and say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I'm putting my total faith in you. Perhaps you're here today, this morning. Maybe you've been discouraged and you've given up or you've gotten sidetracked or distracted. Maybe just tell God, God, I'm back in the game now. Help me to listen to you. Maybe just say something simple like that. Or maybe right where you're sitting, you can say, God, if there's something you want me to do, I'm wide open. Lord, open my eyes and open my ears so I can see and hear what you're saying to me. You say that to God and you mean it, it will change your life. It's the most dangerous and powerful prayer when you're saying, God, use me. I'm available. Send me. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we've had here together. Lord, don't, Lake, don't let Lake Placid stay the way it is. Let it be a place where it's known, where Jesus is lifted high. In your name we pray together. Amen. Thank you for your word, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to invest in us, but we're also very excited to be in investing in you, and uh, so I, I want you to meet the better part of his life, so Hal and Sharon, if you would come up. Um, This is, uh, this is my favorite wife and my only wife. So, it's, it's been kind of a miracle for me as a pastor because Hal's father served in the Bible college that was connected to the church I served in in Florida. And so um, it's been really, they've been a great friends now for almost eight years. And it's just been really neat how God puts those connections together. And uh, as we close our service, we just want to pray for you guys and for you as you begin this new work. They were supposed to launch their church on Easter Sunday. Obviously, um, we're headed in a little different direction. Um, and so uh, we just need to be praying for them as they began this work in Stanford. And, um, and as God continues to guide them and as we continue to invest in this. I'm excited to be a part of what God's going to do. So why don't you stand with us and we'll pray for them.